You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey there, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I, of course, am Jonathan Mayo, joined today by my partner in crime, Jim Callis. James, how are you? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing just uh, fine on uh, on this uh, February day. Uh, no snow where I am currently, um, which is a rarity. You getting any? Getting any snow uh, today? Um, we had some last night. You know, we were in a stretch of about ten days of mostly single-digit temperatures and not above twenty degrees until I think in about a week. Um, and we got some. We we had about eight inches the weekend before the Super Bowl. And then we've had, last night we had probably maybe an inch or two of, of really fluffy snow and we've had some in between. So it, it, it's cold and, and very white outside right now. This is going to be a new weekly segment, the weather report, pipeline yes. weather report. Um, but no, in all seriousness, we, we've got lots to talk about today. Uh, Jim and I are, are going to, uh, believe it or not, admit times when we are wrong. Uh, talking about prospects on both uh, sides of the ledger that uh, we were not quite right on in terms of how we had them ranked in the past. Uh, We'll have Jim's interview with one of the top pitching prospects in the Red Sox organization, Tanner Houck, and we are going to dive deep into the Pipeline mailbag and answer several of your questions on this week's Pipeline podcast. So let's get right to it. We're going to start off with... This segment that we don't have a real good name for it. You know, it's prospects we whiffed on, prospect whiffs, swing and a miss. I don't know what it is. But basically, you know, in doing what we do, we invariably get players wrong. You know, guys end up being better than we thought they were going to be. And guys end up not being what we thought they would be or what the industry thought they would be. And uh, it happens every year. And it's, you know, kind of the nature of the beast. So we thought we would kind of dig into that uh, a little bit more and look at some just who some of those players are. So we're going to start on the sort of uh, positive ledger uh, for the players, that is. Guys that we who, who we were low on, guys who ended up being better than we ever had them ranked. And we're going to just switch off uh, hitter and pitcher. So, Jim, you're going to start things off with uh, – a hitter who ended up being much better than you anticipated. Yeah. And I'll go with, with Paul Goldschmidt, um, you know, who the Dimebacks took in the eighth round. I'm trying to remember this off my head. Yes. Eighth round out of, uh, I I believe it was Texas state in 2009. Um, And, you know, it's funny, like he was on like some pretty good, you know, one of the best high school teams in the country at at the Woodlands. I want to say he was on the same team, with Kyle Drabeck when, when Kyle Drabeck was, was arguably the best high school pitching prospect in the country and guys liked him. You know, he was, you know, he could hit, he was a good makeup guy. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, he, he's a, you know, first base only guy. And, th- and those guys usually go to college. You know, you usually, you know, the, the guy, guys who get signed out of high school, Jonathan, as you know, are, are the athletes and the guys who can hit, but you wonder about their athleticism, you, you let those guys go to college and see if they can hit. And he wasn't a high priority recruit. You know, Texas state is a solid program, but it, you know, it, it's a mid-level conference. He was South, ah, I can't speak Southland conference hitter of the year, two years in a row player of the year, led NCAA division one in RBIs, his uh, draft year, um, you know, says school record for homers. You, you saw athleticism for the size, but he was like six, four, two forty, first base only. And so he, he went in the eighth round and, and even in the minors, I mean, he pretty much hit everywhere he went. He had 18 homers in his first half season, then 35, then 30. Then he was in the big leagues. But I don't think we ever saw him coming. You know, even when he was having the good performances in the minor leagues, we didn't put him on the top 100 prospect list when I was at Baseball America. Um, I'm looking here. We didn't put him in the Arizona. The Dimebacks had a good farm system. We, we ranked him as their 13th and 11th best prospect. He never even made our top 10. Um, and, you know, first full year in the big leagues, he was hitting 20 home runs and stealing 18 bases and hitting for average and playing a good first base. And his second full year was 36 homers, 125 RBIs. And he's just been a very consistent performer. And, 
you know, even stealing bases, you know, for a first baseman, you don't see too often. He had a 30 steal season. He's just been, you know, I don't think anybody's necessarily surprised, even guys some in high school that, you know, he hit, you know, that he's hitting for average and he's got, you know, great makeup, but I don't think anybody ever saw, I certainly didn't, the power, the defensive ability, you know, to the gold glove level, and even, you know, the, the effectiveness on the bases, like, like all that was a huge surprise. Right, right. And he is, uh, you know, the last couple of years I've done when we put out our top 100, a, a look back at uh, 10 years prior. And back then we were only doing a, a top 50 here at MLB.com. And uh, he has been in the re-ranked top 20. And when he wasn't ranked back then, uh, both in 2010, he was in number two overall. And then in 2011, he dropped down to number uh, 11 in, in the in the re-rank. But the hitter I want to talk about is also on both lists, and that's Josh Donaldson, who was a, um, you know, when I guess it was the supplemental first round in 2007, back when that round could go on forever. He was the 48th overall pick in 2007 out, out of Auburn. And he was just, uh, I think it's more than anything, one of these instances of, of being a, a late bloomer. Uh, you know, he had been a catcher. Uh, he moved it around, had trouble finding uh, a place to play, and did make it up. Um, had been traded uh, by the Cubs to the A's, made it up to the A's in 2010, and uh, didn't really perform well. I mean, very small sample size, but didn't make it up again until 2012. Um, and it was then finally, and he was already 24 when he got up, so it was really 2013. That was the year that he started to show that he was going to become the the Josh Donaldson uh, that you know we've seen over the last uh, last several years. Um, and it just you know he kind of stalled out in the upper levels of the minors until he figured it out. And now he's gone on. He's won you know an MVP award. Uh, he's amassed over 41 WAR. He's gone to several all-star games, uh, three by my count. Uh, and this is a guy who, uh, you know, even when he went to Atlanta in 2019, he struggled last year, uh, you know, with, with Minnesota. Um, and obviously in a weird year and, and he missed some time. But in 2019, he, he still hit 37 homers, um, you know, after uh, – after an up and down 2018. So he may be on the downside a little bit now, um, but this is a guy we sort of counted out before uh, and uh, he, he's bounced back. So a guy who's turned himself into a, a good power hitter, run producer with now 225 career homers. What about on the mound, Jim? Well, I'm going to go with uh, Shane Bieber. And my, my first real memory of Shane Bieber, Jonathan, was during the 2016 draft. We were in the studios at our old offices at, at MLB Advanced Media, MLB.com. And when he got picked, you sang Baby Baby, um, making a Justin Bieber joke. I don't, I, do you recall that? Do you remember your singing? I don't remember baby. singing it. Um, you, you started singing Baby if, Baby if when he got picked. If you go back and look, if you read his... Um... I'm surprised I even knew how to sing that song. I, I mean, I knew the, I knew that. You, that was you're a big a, Bieber file. You know, well, come no, on, the funny don't, thing don't is, hide is it. If, if you read his draft report, I made not one, not two, three Justin Bieber jokes. Well, see, and um, that's why I think that relentless Justin Bieberization of Shane Bieber drove him to greatness, which is <laughs> if I had known that that was going to work out that way, I would not have whiffed on him. But no, I mean, it, it's funny. So he was a fourth round pick of the Indians in 2016. We're a draft that might produce 60% of the rotation this year because they got Aaron Savali in the third round and Zach Plezak in the 11th round. And, you know, Bieber was a part of the UCSB, first UCSB team to make it to the College World Series. He'd replaced number four overall pick from the year before, Dylan Tate, as the Gaucho's ace. And, you know, he was your pitchability guy. He, he was one of the best control pitchers. He averaged about one walk per nine at UCSB. And the stuff was really fringy. You know, it was... Your fastball sat around 90, you know, changeup, you know, was okay. Breaking ball was really kind of a fringy pitch, more of a slider. Um, yeah, and to be honest, I mean, the track record of command-oriented pitchers from the Big West is not real good. You think all the, those Fulton guys like, like Thomas Eshelman and 
and others. And yeah, so anyway, I mean, Bieber just kind of looked like your pitchability. I, I I don't think I wrote the Indians back then. Maybe it was it was Teddy Cahill. Um, or maybe it was you, yeah. John. I, I'm sure whoever wrote them probably wrote like, oh, you know, high floor guy, chance to be a number five starter, strike thrower, blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, he threw a ton of strikes. Like in his first year in pro ball, he had a 162 to 10 strikeout to walk ratio. Is um, that, I'm sorry, I'm not, a, I'm not a numbers guy. Is that good? That is good. But he okay. gave up a ton of hits too. He gave up 185 hits. So he was basically throwing strikes. I mean – he was having success in the lower minors, but it wasn't like he was, you know, you know, overmatching guys. Um, and, you know, even when he got to the big leagues, you know, he, you know, continued to pitch away up the ladder. Same guy, you know, started to miss a few more bats in AAA at the beginning of 2018. And, you know, as a rookie, he had a four and a half, four point five five 4.55 ERA in 2018 um, with 118 strikeouts, 115 innings. And then he had a 3280 RA in, in his first you know year where he was fully in the big leagues in 19. And he struck out 259 guys. And I remember even then thinking, wow, I never would have thought Shane Bieber was going to strike out 259 guys in the big league season. And then last year he won the Cy Young Award. And you know what, what's interesting is is he's a totally different guy than he was coming out of college. He he throws harder. His fastball, you know, is probably three, four miles an hour harder than it was. Um, his, his fringy breaking ball, which was more of a slider, he, he now has two distinct breaking balls, but he's got uh, just a wipeout curveball that he's come up with. And, you know, since he's gotten into pro ball, he came up with in 2017. Um, he even, you know, throws a cutter more than the slider. You know, he'll morph that slider into a cutter in the upper 80s. You know, the changeup is, is probably his fifth pitch right now. But even that's been more effective than, than you, you would have projected. So he just, you know, I, I think he's a guy who his aptitude for pitching allowed him to develop and refine pitches. And he's clearly gotten stronger because he's throwing harder. But he's, if you were to look at the stuff he showed last year and compare it to what he showed at UCSB in 2016, it, it's it's not even close. Like like it would all have been yeah. 45s and 50s, and now it's it's a lot of 60s or better. How about you, Jonathan? Yeah, for me, it's uh, it, similarly going a college pitcher route, uh, and the guy that I missed on is Jacob Degrom. And now you probably know the answer to this, but prior to 2010, which was his draft year, how many innings did Jacob Degrom have? on his college resume? I'm going to say nine jumps into my head because I had to do the 2010 redraft story last year. Is, is nine correct? He, he had one, one inning. Okay. I went to, they, do you know who he, you know, he hit his first home run off of, or his only home run off of Chris sale. Exactly. At the, at, at the conference one. tournament. Uh, Very and nice. so Chris sale figures, figures into sort of his draft story a little bit. And uh, I need to double check, by the way, that it was just one inning. I thought they were using him uh, in they were using him in relief uh, as a sophomore. Uh, but I think he only pitched a little Then he was going to p- pitch in the summer. And then he started out the year, his junior year uh, as a closer uh, because he w- was insistent on still playing shortstop. He was a good fielder, uh, but couldn't hit much. And he hadn't really pitched much before at all. And uh, it, it it came it became very clear to the Stetson coaching staff that he was their best arm, and he was like, we, you know what, we need you to start, and uh, so he did, and you know he threw eighty two innings, I think, uh, as a junior, and faced Chris Sale twice, once in a regular season start, and then once in the conference tournament, and. Uh, uh, the Mets, you know, who were on him were a little nervous that too many people would know about him, but they got him in the uh, ninth round of the 2010 draft as a guy who was like 88 to 91, but like super athletic, um, you know, could spin it a little bit through strikes uh, again, you know, and then to add to why we missed on, on him at all, he went out, pitched his first summer. And then had Tommy John surgery after pitching, you know, not a lot in uh, in rookie ball. So then 2012 comes. He's already turning 24. And the reports start coming out from uh, first the South Atlantic League that there's this guy in the Mets who's throwing 98. 
you know, he spent the year rehabbing from Tommy John surgery, working on building strength and things that he had never done before. I mean, this is a guy who never pitched. And so then, you know, he, he kind of jumped up. He pitched across three levels in 2013 uh, and was okay, but not, nothing spectacular, you know, a four and a half ERA over the course of, of the year, you know, almost 150 innings pitched. Again, a high hit total. And, and then all of a sudden, 2014 comes and he's 26 and he ends up being the National League Rookie of the Year and then has a stretch, you know, where he, uh, you know, he, he won back to back Cy Young Awards in, in 2018 and 2019, was re- ridiculously good in 2020. I mean, 104 strikeouts to 18 walks and 68 innings. Um, you know, he's arguably, arguably the, over the last three years, been the most dominant starting pitcher in baseball. But I think the combination of the lack of, of track record as an amateur and then the Tommy John surgery, uh, it made him a little bit older. Uh, we completely uh, missed uh, on, on him. Uh, in terms of how good he was, he was going to be. All right, let's flip the script a little bit because there is the other side of the coin. There are guys, as much as we hate to admit it, that we're you know this guy is going to be a superstar, and that just and for for the guys that we're going to talk about now, it just just didn't happen. So Jim, let's uh, we're going to do it the same way. Uh, we'll go hitter, hitter, pitcher, pitcher. Uh, so let's start with uh, with the the hitter who didn't pan out for you. Okay, the the hitter did not pan out for me. And I think we talked about him either last week or two weeks ago on the podcast is the immortal Jesus Montero. And Jesus, we brought him up in context, and I can't remember how we got on this subject. Um, I noted in one of my years broadcasting the AAA All-Star game, Jesus Montero played in four AAA All-Star games, which was tied for the all-time record. Um, so that was that, that's going to be his lasting claim to fame. But in back-to-back years, at the beginning of last decade at Baseball America, we ranked him in the top five prospects in baseball. Yeah, he, he was essentially Gary Sanchez before Gary Sanchez, this guy who – um, you know, he was, he was probably a better pure hitter than Gary Sanchez, had huge power. Um, there were questions about his ability to stay a catcher. There were questions in the minors about his desire to work hard enough to stay a catcher. But everybody was convinced, me included, this guy was definitely going to hit. Um, you know, probably, you know, you just move him off a catcher, just let him rake. Um, you know, the Yankees, I think, because they had, I want to say, Mark Teixeira must have been their first baseman at the time. Continue to develop him as a catcher. And, you know, his career just never took, you know, it, it was a weird career too. You know, so he comes up, he's only 21 years old in 2011. He comes up at the end of the season and he has nearly a thousand ops in 18 games. Um, and, you know, pretty interesting, you know, like, like did nothing to dim your appreciation of what he could be. And then they traded him that off season in a four player trade that the, the big part of it was him essentially for, for Michael Pineda. Um, and, Seattle played him every day in 2012, uh, you know, you know, mostly, you know, mostly as a DH, you know, caught like 56 games and, you know, Safeco, not a great place to hit, you know, hit 260 with 15 homers, but he was only 22 years old. So you're like, okay, or at least I was, you know, not a great year, but he did hit 15 homers at Safeco, you know, kind of a weird year, you know, but, you know, he's still young. And, and he only ever got another 230 at-bats in the big leagues. Um, you know, he, he played sporadically in Seattle. He had the infamous incident where he had a, a scout for the Mariners buy him, uh, offer him an ice cream sandwich. I'm not sure whether you're going to bring up the ice cream sandwich. Yeah, because the scout did not feel like Jesus was working or playing very hard when he was watching him in a game, so he bought him an ice cream sandwich. Um, his conditioning went south. His career went south. Um, he was last seen in 2018. He played in Mexico. Um, I has not played since then. So I guess his career's over with, you know, 226 games and 28 homers. But I, I, I would have believed not a catcher. I, I thought this guy was a can't miss hitter. There, there was power. There was average. He made a lot of hard contact. Um, and it's still kind of weird to me that he only got one season really as a regular. It's so weird to figure out how, you know, these guys, you know, run their way out of opportunities or, you know, lack of effort their way out of opportunities or whatever it is. Um, 
it's interesting because the guy that I'm going to talk about is also last spotted, mostly uh, it playing uh, regular season in, in Mexico. And I'm going to go with former Phillies phenom Dominic Brown. And he he topped out at number four uh, on our 2011 list. And, and for good reason. Uh, and he, I think he was top 15 the year before that. And this is the guy who looked every bit like he was going to be, you know, the athletic run producing corner outfielder type of, of, of player, you know, big, tall, strong, left-handed bat. Um, I'll be a little, little bit lazy with the comp, but like almost like a Daryl strawberry, type of guy who's going to have a ton of power could run a bit, you know, he's double digit stolen bases, um, you know, hit, hit some homers in the minors, you know, 2010 hit 20 homers uh, overall making up the trouble while hitting 327. I mean, this was a guy who looked like he was destined to be really, really good, made it up to the big leagues uh, in 2010 for a little bit. Didn't hit that well, but you don't think much about it. He's 22. Got some more time. Another, 200, a little over 200 plate appearances, 725 ops in 2011, um, 2012, more of the same, uh, you know, always hit. Okay. The weird thing is that the power didn't really show up. And then in 2013, all of a sudden, bam, 27 homers, like, all right, he's establishing himself. And then it, it like, it never, it never came back after that. Uh, he kind of, he moved on to, to the Blue Jays organization. The power never came back. Uh, and then he was out of organized baseball. He's played the last, you know, few years in, in Mexico, but you know, in, in 2019, he had 25 homers and 936 ops in, in Mexico. He's 31 now. So, you know, I, again, another guy that looked like he was sure to make it, but, but, but didn't. All right, let's finish up with our, our two pitching misses. I'm going with Jesse Foppert and Jesse Foppert back in 2003, when I was at baseball America, we had him ranked as the best pitching prospect in baseball. Number five overall. Um, I I love this guy as a prospect, Jonathan. He was more of an infielder in high school. Didn't really pitch much at San Francisco's first two years. Um, In summer ball, his team needed pitchers in the Valley league. So they got him on the mound and then, you know, he wound up, you know, having a solid junior year, became a prospect as a pitcher, winds up going in the second round, just carves up the minors. Um, you got to, you know, he's drafted in 2001. He spent 2002 in AA and AAA um, and was in the big leagues for most of 2003. And, you know, he led the minors in strikeouts per nine innings. His, his one full year in the minors um, mid nineties to 99, like coming out of his hands so easily, ton of life. He's got a splitter that just made guys look silly because they're trying to gear up for the fastball, uh, tighten up his slider, mound presence, athleticism, thought this guy w- was going to be a star. Um, and he wound up getting to San Francisco in 2003. Um, you know, had a five year as a rookie, struck out almost a guy printing, you know, battles control a little bit, but you know, he's still only 22 years old, but he wound up blowing out his elbow and his stuff was never the same. You know, he pitched one game in 2004. He pitched I mean, in the big leagues. He pitched a little in the minors. He pitched three games in 2005. And that was the whole extent of the rest of his big league career. He pitched four games in the big leagues after Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, kind of a cautionary tale that guys don't always come back better than ever from, from Tommy John. Um, and it just didn't work out for him. And, you know, I was thinking about him, Jonathan. His story, unfortunately, kind of reminds me of Kyle Zimmer, who was also mm. a two-way guy who was more of a hitter than a pitcher early in his career at the University of San Francisco. And he wound up being a first-round pick. And you and I, I think we both know, if you ask a lot of scouts, what's the best outing you ever saw in the Arizona Fall League? They're going to talk about Kyle Zimmer striking out 12 in five innings. But you know, he, he's made it to the big leagues, but he's had all kinds of trouble staying healthy. And those were two guys, Jonathan, Fopper and Zimmer, same school, same background that I, I love the fact that they were two-way guys and athletic and didn't have a lot of mileage on their arms. I thought for sure those guys would stay healthy um, and they didn't. But anyway, that, that, that's my, my cautionary yeah. tale of pitchers. Uh, Jesse Fopper, I thought was going to be much better than that. 
who, uh, who who is your pitching cautionary tale? Yeah, mine mine was the Dodgers lefty Greg Miller, and th- this is a, a time back when you know, the Dodgers farm system was like unbelievably rich. Uh, you know, Edwin Jackson and Chad Billingsley came, and then you had R- Russell Martin and uh, Andy LaRoche. Uh, I'm trying to think because I covered the 2005. Matt Kemp uh, maybe was on Jacksonville. That Matt team. Kemp was like a was was not on that Jacksonville team. The Jacksonville team in 2005 was so deep. I'm, I'm getting right. ahead of myself that he couldn't get promoted. Uh, he, he he like won the Florida State League Triple Crown. Anyway, I digress. Greg Miller, his breakout was in 2003 where he pitched his way to Jacksonville as, as an eight, you know, he was 18. Uh, he was a young guy drafted in 2002, but he, you know, struck out, you know, nine and a half per nine in that first full year, made it to double a uh, unbelievable stuff. So we ran him up and that was our first year of doing rankings in 2004. He was the number three prospect, had him ahead of Edwin Jackson, who was number five. Um, and then he missed the entire 2004 season with the shoulder injury and kind of never really was the same. He, he, he came back in 2005. Uh, he was on that Jacksonville team pitching out of the bullpen mostly. Um, but what really started happening was he lost the, the strike zone uh, like in, a, in an extreme way. Um, and I remember seeing him over a couple of years in the fall league, trying to pitch his way out of it. Uh, I particularly remember, I think it was 2007. He was really, really struggling. Like in 2007, during the regular season, Jim, he walked 10 and a half per nine innings. Well, you know what I remember about him, Jonathan? And it's funny. I, we had Edwin Jackson head of Greg Miller, but I think we had him as the two best pitching prospects in baseball. And it sounds like you did too, but just in reverse order. Is he wound up having not one, but two shoulder surgeries. And he, and, 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 and he had to drop his arm angle because of his shoulder. Like his shoulder was never never the same. And so he wanted to pitch it from a lower slot, and he just never threw it. Like he didn't throw as hard. He couldn't stay on top of the breaking ball. Like he, he had trouble getting loose, and it was it was a shame. I mean – God, we could do <laughs> probably yeah. hours and hours of podcasts of pitchers we like. Like way back when, I loved Roger Salkeld uh, when I was first starting off at Baseball America, um, or, or Brian Taylor. You go on. Matt White was a ten about, million dollar uh, guy. Mark so Rogers. Yeah, Mark Rogers is another guy. But um, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on. Yeah, Greg Miller just never threw strikes again, uh, and that was uh, and was out of baseball after a little knocking around indie ball a little bit in 2013 after taking. Uh, several years away from the game. So your physical and mental part of pitching is tough, but you know what, like, like Jim said, uh, you know, we could go on and on with this and maybe we'll revisit uh, this segment uh, 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 another time in the future, but that uh, that'll do things. That'll wrap things up for us in terms of prospects. We whiffed on when we come back, we're going to hear from a prospect that uh, I don't think uh, we're going to whiff on one of the best pitching prospects in the Red Sox system, Jim Cowles talked to him. We're talking about right-hander Tanner Houck. We'll be right back. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman... It is easy to talk about with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. 
Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Tanner House says it all right there. 2-0 with a zero. I wonder where he's going to feature tonight to top that. 2-2. And a strikeout to start it for Tanner Houck fanning Ronald Acuna. The 1-2. Swing and a miss. 0-2 to Ozzy Albies. And Vasquez hung on to it, so it's the third strikeout for Tanner Houck. Oh, strike three called on Duvall. Are you kidding me? The strike him out. Another 1-2-3 inning for Houck. Houck's payoff. And a strikeout for Tanner Houck, his seventh fanning Darno. Hit on the ground, and Bogarts slides to stop it and throws out Duvall. He's trying to finish off Inciarte, and he does with his slider for a ninth strikeout for Tanner Houck. Well, you're right. I mean, there are more lefties swinging at that pitch that is not even close to being a strike. They must not see it well. 0-2. Yes. Got it. Another strikeout for Tanner Houck, and that is 10 of them tonight in Atlanta. Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline with Tanner Houck of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, thanks for joining us, Tanner. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Obviously, 2020, not a normal year in any sense from a baseball standpoint, but I suspect that you're going to probably remember it a little bit more fondly than, than most people will. You, you made your Major League debut. You made three starts, three spectacular starts. I think you gave up uh, one earned run, 17 innings, 21 strikeouts. How much does, I mean, does something like that, obviously it's a thrill to make your big league debut no matter how it goes, but how much will that help you carry momentum into next year as opposed to if all you had this year was was alternative camp and you didn't have that? Uh, I think just having even the alternate site was was very helpful for me in my career, but obviously making my debut and, and just getting my feet wet up at that level and just having that confidence going into next year, I think is the biggest thing. I, I feel like going into next year, uh, I, I'm a lot more prepared. I kind of have like a little bit more understanding of what to expect. Obviously there's things that I'll still be learning uh, along the way, but for the most part, I, I am truly blessed to at least got my feet a little wet and, and ready to go. After doing that, after, after making those three starts, do you come into this offseason preparing any differently than you might have otherwise, you know, mentally or physically, based on, on what you learned from those three starts? Uh, for me, it was just surrounding myself with elite competition. I, I moved down to Jupiter, Florida, started going to Cresty Sports or Strength Performance, uh, and it was truly the best thing I could have done. I, I wanted to surround myself with the biggest fish I can. And, and ultimately, I think that's what, what drives people more is whenever you see, you know, other people in the weight room that are pushing their bodies and just as much as you are, but also whenever it's elite competition. I know, obviously, you don't – you're not going to look at it like, oh, I, I've got it made now. It's only three starts. But, but if the Red Sox – talk to you I mean do you feel how confident do you feel about securing a spot in next year's rotation have the Red Sox said much to you about that or is it you know show up at spring training and, and we're going to go from there uh pretty much for me it's it's go in and and fight for a spot and that's what I expect I don't I don't expect to to walk in there day one and have a, a spot in the rotation I know that it's going to be a lot of you know hard work we got some great guys there that are going to be fine for the spot with uh, against me, and uh, I'm ready for the competition 2021. I'm I'm ready for really whatever. You're part of a, a Missouri program that I think is kind of underrated as a pitching factory. I, I know you know this, but they've had 10 different pitchers, including yourself, in the last 15 drafts make it to the big leagues, um, four first-round picks, supplemental first-round pick. When you were at Missouri or since then, I mean, do you have any interaction with the – with the Max Scherzers and the, the Kyle Gibsons of the world who, who've been through that program? And, and do you have any interaction with the guys who come after you, like a, a TJ Sikama, who the Yankees took in the supplemental first round, or a Ian Bedell, who was a fourth-round pick by the Cardinals last year? Do you guys interact? Is there a, a brotherhood, say, of former Missouri pitchers? Do you guys communicate at all? 
Yeah, I, I've gotten to talk to Scherzer and uh, Gibson multiple times. I, I have both their numbers and haven't reached out lately. But, you know, anything uh, I feel like I, I need, I definitely feel like I could contact them. Uh, Ian Bedell, I actually work out with on a day-to-day -day basis down here uh, in Jupiter. So it, it is kind of nice to have a, a fellow Mizzou guy there. Uh, but, yeah, it, it is definitely like a little bit of a brotherhood. I mean – all went to Mizzou together, uh, and you never can take that away. You know, when you were when you were taking, you know, a first round pick out of Missouri a few years ago, you know, I don't know how much you ever listened to this, but it would drive me nuts. You you get you you hear like at least when I would talk to scouts, you know, Tanner Houck, he throws with the low slot. I'm not not sure how conducive that is to starting. And I know I think even in, in pro ball, maybe you know, in the beginning of your career, you tried to throw with maybe a higher slot, but to me, and it kind of played out this way in the big leagues, the low slot gives you a ton of sync on the, on the two-seamer. It gives you tremendous angle on the slider. Did you ever hear those questions? I mean, did you go through that with the Red Sox a little bit, trying to change your slot early in your career? I mean, it seems like you have a natural slot that, that's, that's very effective for you. Yeah, I think ultimately I just listened to my body. I, I tried to play, play around with having a little bit higher slot. Uh, and try and change some things up that my body didn't want to do and it reacted the way it did and ultimately why that I think that's why I struggled at or at least like the past few years I, I was gonna say like the first you know little bit but ultimately like with how much of a drastic change I made like I definitely had some prolonged stuff that happened because of it, it I was like searching for my arm slot sometimes that was like super awkward I'd feel like sometimes I'd be super over the top and then other times I'd be like way too low so ultimately like now going into 2021 I feel like I've, I have my arm slot back 2020 was great for that going into the alternate side but yeah I, I had also heard with people saying no he can't be a starter he can't hold up but I mean just I guess fuel the fire <laughs> You can say all you want about me, and at the end of the day, I'm still going to prove you wrong and, and continue to fight. I love starting, and that's what I plan on doing. Well, I mean, the thing is, too, everybody's different. There's not one perfect delivery that guarantees guys being healthy. Like, I, I remember, you know, when, when, when Scherzer came out of Missouri, he, I mean, he still throws with some effort in his delivery. You wouldn't call that effortless delivery, and he, he had – Tanner, one of the biggest head whacks I've ever seen. I mean, he's cleaned that up some, but he, he signed late. He held out for most of the year. He signed late. And so I think he, one of his first pro experiences was in Arizona Fall League. And he looked great down there. And the consensus everybody said about Max Scherzer, I mean, I probably talked to a dozen scouts, was great arm. I'd put him in the bullpen right away, get him to the big leagues because he's going to blow out in two years. Get what you can out of him and, and go from there. And I don't think he's ever had an arm injury, like, like all these years later. And, I mean, you're a member of a Red Sox staff. With Chris Sale, they said the same thing about him when he came out of the draft. He, he should have probably been the number four pick in the draft that year. He was great in the Cape, great success in college, but he had a low slot. And, and it was like, ah, you know, starters don't look like that. And Chris Sale's done pretty well. So, I mean, and I was looking, I mean, again, small sample size, and you may or may not know this, but, you know, you're sinking your slider, which had been your bread and butter going back to Missouri. In the big leagues, guys were 0 for 25 against your sinker and slider last year. I, I, you know, it, it's crazy now. A couple years ago, probably like the last time I really saw live baseball, I guess outside of spring training last year, was in the Fall League. You were in the Fall League in 2019, and when I talked to you, you were working on changeup. You were saying how that was going to be a key to your development as a starter. Um, is it a split changeup? Because I know from looking at some of the pitch data, it shows up on our system as a splitter. Is it a split changeup, and how's that coming along for you? Uh, actually, it's a straight split now. Uh, I transitioned to that uh, actually like three days before spring training got got canceled. Uh, so that was a, an interesting thing. I was hoping to obviously have all the Red Sox staff there to help me uh, develop that during the spring training, but ultimately got shipped home to kind of work on it myself. But uh, yeah, so I switched to complete or completely thrown the splitter. I, I'm not throwing the changeup anymore. Uh, ultimately, it just it's a pitch that I can throw a little bit more comfortably. A changeup you typically want, like, you know, they say like eight to 10 miles an hour off your fastball. And I was struggling getting there. And with a the splitter, it doesn't matter how hard it is. It's a pitch that you just 
throw it as hard as you can and the grip does all the work for it. And I was throwing it in the zone uh, more consistently. So ultimately it was, it was a no brainer pitch uh, for me to switch to that. And then going off the arm slot thing, I, you are right. No one, there is no like cookie cutter, like this is what, you know, like an MOB pitcher, like starter should look like, or like, this is what, you know, they should do. Everyone is, you know, different size. Everyone is, I, I think, a good comparison. This is on the hitter side, but look at Altuve and look at Judge. One is, you know, significantly bigger and one is significantly smaller than the other. So baseball is a great game that, like, no matter the size you are, <laughs> anyone can play it. No, you're right. You're right. It's, it's like it was, it was it, like, again, it, it drives me a little nuts because, you know, another guy, Madison Bumgarner, he kind of slings it. I mean, people are saying we came out of high school and, like, Madison Bumgarner helped win three World Series, and, and, and you wouldn't, you know. You, again, I've seen guys with great deliveries get hurt. I've seen guys, like I said, Scherzer, he had the biggest head whack I've ever seen, where his head was almost bouncing off his shoulder, and it was like it was making my neck hurt watching him. And everybody, and you would have thought, like, there's no way that guy's going to hold up. And I think, I think he's had a finger injury. I don't think he's ever really had an arm injury, and here we are 15 years later. So it, it's kind of funny how that worked out. So – so I know this week, Tanner, you're, you're part of the rookie program, which is like many things different during the pandemic. Instead of being at a, a hotel in Florida with a bunch of players, everybody's doing it virtually. But what did you think? Had you heard about the rookie program before? And what did it mean? You know, how good did it feel to be selected for that? Because it's a focus on you know the best and brightest of the young players who are getting ready to either you've got a little big league experience like you or, or haven't quite gotten there yet. I had actually heard about it before. I uh, heard about it last year whenever uh, Bobby Dahlbeck and a few other guys uh, went down and, and did the program. Uh, but getting invited to it this year was amazing. I, I think it's going to be a great week of learning a lot. Uh, yet, yesterday we started it and just getting to hear from, from some of those guys that have, you know, 10 plus years in the big leagues or like, you know, six, five, years in the big leagues, whatever it is. I mean, just getting to learn and just hear that, all right, no, they go through the same struggles I went through. Like they're just as much human as like I am. And I think that's where honestly some fans like at the end of the day don't realize like, Hey, we're, we're just like you, we eat, sleep and breathe just like you. Uh, but we just get to, to play a childhood game that we fell in love with. But yeah, getting to hear from those guys that, they've gone through the same struggles is is truly great because you know you're not on an island whenever you're going through the struggle of I've had three bad starts in a row like what am I doing like I'm I'm kind of lost but just to know that all right I, I can get through it just as much as they did and it's gonna take some work but got to be willing to put it in. Tanner I, I really appreciate your time today uh you know good luck this season it was it was fun watching you have so much success in your debut. And, uh, and like I say, like, like we discussed in the interview, I'm glad to see another guy who isn't, you know, the, the slot may be low, but, but is having success as a starter because that stuff just drives me nuts. So keep, keep up the good work and continued success. And uh, thanks a lot for your time, Tim. No, thank you for having me anytime. I really enjoyed talking to Tanner Houck. We actually talked uh, a lot even beyond the, the interview. Shocking. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, he got engaged during the year, and he was saying it was like it was, it was one of the few nice things about the pandemic was um, they he got to spend more time with his now fiance than he ever had because you know the baseball season you're traveling all the time. Um, so congratulations, to Tanner, on that. And you know, as you could tell, I I I really enjoyed talking to him about the little arm slot thing, Jonathan, because it, it drives me nuts. You know, it's, it's real easy to say, oh, guy throws to the little arm slot, he's not going to hold up as a starter. And they said the same thing about Chris Sale. Yeah. And we, we talked about all these prospects we we're wrong about. And in, in, in 2010, you know, the big three in the draft were Harper, you know, Bryce Harper, Jameson Tyone, and Manny Machado went one, two, three. And the consensus was there was no clear number four. At one time I was right. I wrote a column for Baseball America said, no, the number four guy is obviously Chris Sale. Like he tore up the Cape Cod League. He's been great for two years at Florida Gulf Coast. He's got multiple pitches. I just, I'm not buying this low arm slot thing that he can't start. 
Chris Sale was the best starter in the American League for years before he got hurt. I remember Mass and Bumgarner when I was in North Carolina Baseball America. Oh, he's got this slingy motion. And, you know, how's that going to work? You know, he still was a first-round pick, but, you know, his stuff regressed when he got to AAA. And it's like, ah, you know, he's a slinger. You know, it's not going to work. Mass and Bumgarner's worked out pretty well. And, you know, so I was really happy to see Tanner Houck have success because he fought that too. You know, the Red Sox even tried to raise his arm slot and, and give him more of a, a four-seam fastball, you know, curveball to go up and down the strike zone instead of his sinker slider approach that made him a first round pick. And he, you know, he still will throw some four seamers, but I, I'm very happy to see him have that success, Jonathan. Is there anything that drives you nuts? Like, like hearing low arm slot guy can't start. Is, is there something like that that you hear that, that drives you insane when, that's when it gets brought up? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely part of it. And, you know, listen, I like, like you, we have the utmost respect for scouts, but there are certain things that uh, I think it, again, with pitching it, there, there are two, two things. One, and I think that the industry is starting to move away from it a little bit is the, is the size thing, you know, an undersized guy is automatically, you know, bound for the bullpen uh, or it's not going to work or, you know, that they won't even look at a guy if he's, you know, not six foot three. Um, and the other is, is velocity. And, and, and I know that, you know, teams will try to project, uh, you know, future velocity and things like that. But, you know, we, we were talking about in the last segment, the two pitchers that we picked um, as guys that we missed on who ended up being better, Shane Bieber and, and Jake DeGrom wouldn't get a, uh, wouldn't get a, a sniff from a lot of teams, you know, because they were 89 to 91 in, in college, but, had you know for, for Bieber like really had a feel for pitching and and a track record of of doing it and less track record for Degrom but the feel for pitching and athleticism played and I think I think teams miss out on guys because if they're not you know touching ninety five on a radar gun um, they uh, they won't they won't even you know turn them in high enough to to get enough of a look so that's. I think that's where I would uh, where I would go with uh, with that. But a good question, great interview with Tanner Hauk. When we come back on the Pipeline podcast, we're going to be digging deep into that Pipeline mailbag. Stick around. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan May along with Jim Callis. We're going to close things up with uh, with an extended mailbag. We're going to reach into the, into the what is it, a mail pouch? Mail sack? What's the proper terminology? Uh, mailbag? Mailbag. 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 We'll go with mailbag. I'm thinking satchel. I was thinking satchel. Anyway, we're going to answer a bunch of questions is what I'm getting to. Um, let's start with a um, couple questions we had. Because uh, we're still getting some, you know, why was or why wasn't this guy on the top 100? And two questions about Ryan Weathers. Why did Ryan Weathers fall off the top 100 after his playoff performance? Uh, and uh, that came from Sun Tower. And the other one came from, I, ha- I mean, I can't not say it, Nostradamus, which I just appreciate the the cleverness there. Ryan Weathers has plus command, two plus secondaries, and has a velo jump from 90 to 92 to 90 to 94 to 96. How does this man not make the top 100? I hope I read that with the indignation 
that at Friar Bad intended. Uh, Jim, you want to have a go? Sure. And, and, and before I answer these two comments, one, you, you're not going to attack either of these gentlemen like, like you did the Austin Kirk gentleman, right? No. Or, or do you wish to attack? Why, well, that, let's not. Let's not okay, that's fine. That. And two, I, I have to admit, Jonathan, I, I'm jealous of your, your the depth of your mailbag. Um, I, I ask, <laughs> we do inbox and podcast questions. I ask four times a week for, for questions, try to make the mailbag overflow. And I know I'm, I, I probably have a higher standard of usable mailbag questions, but you got 38 responses to like a Monday afternoon. It's, it's crazy. Maybe, maybe I, that's I, it, by the way. Maybe it's because I only put out the one question. People know that if I don't send it in now, I'm not getting anything. Yeah. In any case, anybody listening to this podcast, when I ask for questions, give me some questions so I can have an even better pipeline inbox. In any case, <laughs> um, Ryan, Ryan Weathers might, might literally have been number 101. We had, you know, the way we go through the process real quick is Jonathan and me and Mike Rosenbaum come up with a, a top 125. We mash them together. Then we discuss them and we send them out to a million people for feedback. And sometimes you get other names that people are like, you got to put this guy in the list. And I feel like that guy was Kate Cavalli. We, we had some support about how great Kate Cavalli looked in instructional league. And Ryan Weathers, I think literally was number 101 had we continued going on with the list. So, uh, you know, I, I make this point all the time. There's not a whole lot of difference between prospect number 76 and prospect number 125, except half of them are going to be on the list. Half of them aren't. I, I, I did chuck a little bit the question about uh, how do he fall off the, the, the top 100 after his playoff performance where he, yeah. he pitched in one playoff game. He, he did have a zero ERA, didn't give up any runs. But he, he walked two of the six guys he faced. I mean, so I, I wouldn't say that that was like an all-time, like cements him on the top 100. But I, I know for me, I was on the fence with him, Jonathan. I know the stuff's improved. But is it improved every fifth day over a five- or six-month season? That's it. Um, that's it. That's, that's what I want to see. Yeah, I think it's it's sample size. And, yeah, I know, like, the flip side with a guy like Cade Cavalli, it's also sample size, right? You know, the, we just need to see it more. I, everything I've heard about Ryan Weathers is very good. I think he's going to he's gonna climb onto the top 100, I think. Um, I had the same reaction that you did to the playoff performance that part. I'm like, nah, I don't think that's really what you meant to say. If the, those uh, – the jumps in velocity and stuff – uh, and reports of improved con the conditioning, which helped lead to that, are true and and last. Then he belongs on the top 100. Um, and who knows, ten years from now or whenever, uh, we'll maybe we'll talk about Ryan Weathers as a guy we missed on. But I think uh, he, he's going to climb onto the list. Um, speaking of guys who just missed, we did have a story, you know, last week as is our tradition, where we pick you know basically the next guy up, guys who just missed for each uh, for each team and we got this question uh that made me think that you know which player that did not make the top 100 do you believe is poised for a huge breakout season my bet is on jordan adams of the angels this comes from chris chapman at chap daddy 76 jim you got uh, you got a favorite well uh, yeah we could go the easy answer and take Ryan Weathers, but yes, I, I'm not. Yeah, I, don't, do I don't think we should double up there. Pick someone else. I, I, I'm hoping that you go Alejandro Kirk when it comes to you, um, but we'll have <laughs> to wait and see if that amends. happens. Um, I'm going to go with a guy who, not that we talked to every scout who was instructional league, but I got multiple rave reviews on his instructional league performance from him from outside his organization. I, I'm going to go with Michael Bush of the Dodgers, who in 2019 was one of the best offensive talents in the entire draft. If you look at his career at North Carolina and at the Cape Cod league, he has the tools to hit for average, to hit for power. He's got a disciplined approach. There was a lot of question as to what position was he going to play? You know, the Dodgers announced him as a second baseman. I think he's a, a better athlete than he gets credit for. But he's also listed at six foot two oh seven, and I don't think a lot of people really felt like he could play second base. And, and he spent his time, you know, when he you know, during the pandemic layoff, getting stronger and quicker. 
I'm not giving him a gold glove, but I do think it sounds like he's got a better chance to stick at second, maybe be a, a Max Muncy type, um, you know, where you, where you position him and, and you make up for some range that way. Um, and he just looked great at the plate in, in the fall. I mean, which, which isn't a surprise, but I think, you know, this is a guy who, because of an injury, you know, in his pro debut, he, he got hit by a pitch, broke his hand. He only played 10, he's only played 10 games after he signed in 2019. We saw him a little bit real briefly in the fall league um, and then no games this year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy just comes out and, and tears it up this year um, and, and forces his way onto the top 100. Good choice. Good choice. Um, I think I'm not going to go with Alejandro Kirk. Um, although I think he is a, a, a worthy choice. I'm going to, you know, we, as everyone knows by now, we split up the team. So like, I think there's just more familiarity with a guy in, on organizations that, that we like. So I'm going to go with uh, Leover Paguero, the pirates. Um, the pirates got him in the uh, Starling Marte trade a year ago. And then obviously he didn't get to, to play uh, kind of really jumped on the map uh, by performing extremely well. Uh, in short season ball, uh, as an 18 year old, uh, we hit 326 uh, there, and then came and they sent him to alternate camp in Altoona, and performed re- really well, um, especially once he, uh, you know, once he sort of caught up to the to the speed of the game and the more advanced competition, uh, showed him the ability to hit. He can run. He can really play shortstop. Um, so uh, he's a guy that I think is going to go to full season ball uh, in some capacity this year and really take off. Like I could see him playing across a couple of levels. So uh, that that's uh, that's my choice for there. Thanks for that question, Chap Daddy seventy six. Let's go on to at Todd ninety one fifteen. Todd asks, <clears throat> who are some guys in make or break years? And your projections on how their careers end up—that's uh, you know, maybe a, a little much, but I like the make or break years. His suggestions are Desmond Lindsay, Austin Beck, and Cody Clemens. Anybody that comes to mind? And you know, we were talking off air, Jim. And I think we could take this one of two ways, right? It's the top 100 guys who are still on there, but like this is a year that they kind of have to put up or shut up, or guys who are like on that precipice of uh, you know falling off the prospect cliff. Yeah, the, we really should also make note of this, Jonathan. This would be an excellent topic for our weekly, pretty much weekly, one for each team stories too. Like we could do a make or break one FET, uh, as we call them in the uh, on du- the inside here. Duly um, noted. Um, so, but anyway, like the, the first guy who jumped to mind for me, and I'll admit, I, I cannot tell you how his career is going to pan out, but it, no. it's Forrest Whitley. Uh, it's, you know, Forrest Whitley – First round pick in 2016, gets to double A out of high school in 2017, which is something I think only four or five pitchers have done in the last 20 years, you know, going from first round in high school to double A in their first full year. And honestly, Jonathan, I thought he was going to make the big league club at some point in 2018. Uh, After seeing him pitch in the fall league that fall, I thought he was definitely making the club in 19, which he didn't. Saw him in the fall league again. He's won back-to-back AFL strikeout crowns. Thought he'd be in the big leagues in 2020. And it's just crazy. He had a a 50-game suspension at the beginning of 2018 for violating the minor league drug program. And since then, he's had oblique injury, lat injury, right shoulder inflammation. Command kind of fell apart briefly in 2019. And then you had the, the shortened season during which he came up with it was sore elbow while he was at the alternate site. And, you know, I, I still... You know, it's funny. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen Forrest Willie pitch bad, Jonathan. I've yeah. seen him maybe make five starts, maybe more than that, in the Arizona Fall League. Um, and he's been great. And you could see on any given day, he's got five pitches. They can all be plus. They can sometimes be better than plus. You know, he's still got to work out some control. You know, and, you know, he, he turned 23 in September. You know, he's still relatively young. I, I just. I honestly, the way his career started off, would have thought he'd have two or three minor major league seasons under his belt. And you know, I I, I still think there's hope. I mean, I, I still like him. We still have him ranked 41st on the top 100. Um, the stuff's all there. Like I said, you'd like to see a little bit better control. But he's only pitched 197 innings 
not counting the AFL, in five seasons since he signed. Um, I think there's still huge upside there, but I really think like this is a huge year. Like he can't, he, I, 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 my head will explode, Jonathan. If, if we have another year where Forrest Whitley only pitches about half a season and doesn't debut in the big leagues. And, you know, we, we need this guy to graduate. I, I've run out of things yeah. to write about him, but like, I don't, I mean, what do you think about Forrest Whitley? What, I mean, I, I don't know how you project with any certainty, but like the 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 the, the stuff's there. The stuff's yeah, still no, there. The, the stuff is there, and I, I've seen it too. Maybe maybe just you and I. You know, he needs to f- make sure that we see all of his starts, and that's the that's the. I don't know. I think Michael Kopech's sort of in that boat. He could be an answer to this question on the top one hundred front. Um, offensively, I, I'm kind of looking at O'Neill Cruz, um, which may be a little unfair because he's you know just. 22 and he's going to be 22 for all the season. But there, there comes a certain point in time where a guy who is all about upside and potential and ceiling has to produce. And it's not that he hasn't, you know, he, you know, when he came over to the pirates and he, you know, he really is full season debut. He, 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 he played in full season 2017. Um, struggled there and got a reboot. So I guess it was his second year uh, and he was in the South Atlantic League with West Virginia is when it kind of started to to click. He had 14 homers, um, not a great hitter's park uh, as a, you know, as a teenager still. And then in 2019, even though he got hurt, he performed well and made it up to double A, um, you know, missed a bunch of time. The power wasn't there as much. Um which is, you know, somewhat understandable given the injury. And then in the Arizona Fall League, he was completely lost and looked like he would rather be pretty much anywhere else on the face of the earth than in the Arizona Fall League. Had a 520 ops there. Um, and, you know, I, he did okay in the alt camp, but I think this is like a year. I, make or break might be a little bit harsh just because he's still so young, but he's going to be at the upper levels. We still don't know what position he plays because he's 17 feet tall. But I think that he is a guy that, like, this is going to be a big year. He needs to show up every day uh, and and start putting the tools, especially that raw power, and have it start showing up to become the guy that we've had in the in the you know firmly in the top 100 now for a while. So that's my top 100 look at that. We could revisit this another time and sort of talk about the guys about to sort of fall off a cliff, but. You know, people can send that question in. Uh, we are looking at uh, an extended mailbag. I'm Jonathan May, along with Jim Callis here on the Pipeline Podcast, and we're answering, you know, more questions than usual here. Um, so if you want to get your questions in, uh, just look for, uh, you know, the calls for questions each and every week. We alternate. Uh, Jim Callis and myself on on the Twitter machine, so you can. Uh, you can look there. Uh, of course, I'm at Jonathan Mayo, and Jim is at Jim Callis MLB. And you can send your questions in, and we'll we'll try to to do this more regularly because we like hearing from you and guys come up with with great questions. Um, we're going to do one last one, and this is sort of more. This isn't like specific player related. Uh, this comes from at Nick Willis Jr., who, by the way, also asked along with others when the top 30s are coming out. Um, so everyone hang tight. Uh, we're looking at the beginning of March and, uh, we're going to start rolling out all the team top 30 lists then. But the question, uh, from Nick that we, I really wanted to, to get to is this, the recent recipients of the first 80 grade hit tools ever are both in the last five years. Would you say this is due to coincidentally generational talents or over time has scouting become more accurate slash confident. And Jim, of course, Nick is talking uh, about uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and now Wander Franco, the first two 80 hit grades that we've we've ever given. What's your what's your take on Nick's question? Um, well, I think part of it is, you know, we, we actually get it, it. We'll talk about the grading process for, for a second. You know, it, it's hard. I mean, we put a lot of time into trying to have accurate grades and you run into do you want to grade out and be like really generous and grade like best case scenario, in which case you're throwing out big grades all over the place or, you know, I mean, like 
you know, things like speed and fastball velocity, yes. I mean, those, you know, you, you have higher grades, you know, those are, are fairly standard. Or do you like try to not necessarily even be conservative, but just I, I'd say realistic. And then you get a lot of 45s and 50s and 55s. And we've heard from people, Jonathan, in baseball who some people tell us we're too generous and some people tell us we're too conservative. So I don't even know how to answer that. So I, I think it's, I wouldn't say that scouting is more like accurate that that's why these guys are eighties or confident. I, I just, I, I, I'll go with the generational talent. I mean, just to see two guys that young have that much success and make that much contact. You know, I was looking back and when I was, I, I don't remember what we graded at, at baseball America. We would only put grades back when I was there on the number one overall prospect. So you, you guys were grading everybody. I think at pipeline, Jonathan, we did not put an 80 on my trout. Um, although Mike Trout was a career 341 hitter in the minors, you know, he struck out, you know, his strikeout rate was around, I think 14, 15%. So maybe that was why, but like, you know, I think we could have put an 80 on, on Mike Trout and not looked bad. Um, do you remember? I mean, I, I guess you didn't, if he was the first day we, I think I'm right. looking here, we went 70 on Mike Trout. Um, but I, I think it's more generational talent on those two guys, um, than anything. Yeah, I think I think that's it. We early on in our grades, we would do a split. We would do like a current, you know, now and future grades. We right. started out that way, and that got a little too complicated, and it's really hard to project. So now, what we have is uh, basically a uh, uh, you know a future grade. Uh, I think we maybe try to hedge our bets at at times because you know you could go nuts with future grades. Um, and I think it is mostly that those guys are generational talents. Um, obviously, time will tell to see if there, you know, if this is a generation where there's more of that kind of talent. I do think that it reflects a little bit, maybe a, a, a more of a willingness to go there. You know, uh, giving someone an eighty is like giving someone a perfect score. You know, uh, you know, on a test, or if you're a, you know. A, figure skating judge, you know, it's like, well, you never give, you know, there are certain people that will never give them. We've talked to scouts who are like, well, I, I won't give anybody an 80. Or, or um, like one, the only guy who can get an 80 is the best of all time. Like, like right. there's one 80 and nobody else gets an 80. Right. That's it. So, you know, so I do think that there's a little bit more of comfort saying, you know, putting a, a guy or in this case guys on that highest pedestal. Now, Will they end up living up to that 80? I will, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Vladdy's still establishing himself and Wander Franco hasn't gotten there yet. Um, but I, I do think that it is, you know, I'll, I'll say it's like 80% that they're generational talents with 20% that they're coming along at a time that we're, we're willing to, to hang the grade on them that, you know, that we maybe weren't willing to do 10 years ago, as you pointed out with, with Mike Trout. All right. Well, you know what? I think uh, I think that's a wrap for this week's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single Pipeline podcast episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, please leave us a rating and a review, preferably with lots and lots of stars and superlative comments. Thanks for listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jonathan Mayo, along with Jim Callis. We'll see you next week.